Blog Talk Radio. Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. Our reporters around the country, Roy Cummings, of course, as always in in uh, uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, Roger Hendler is in Atlanta, Georgia. 
Frank Carroll is at the controls as always, and he's sort of midway between all those areas. And Frank, I know you have a dedication before we go to some of the big, big sports news of the day. Yeah, Don. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, do, do this one. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of our, our co-hosts, uh, Mike uh, uh, Simzak, uh, grandfather passed away on Sunday. Uh, his name was Chauncey Barnett. He was 98 years old. He was born in Oklahoma. Uh, he was the grandson of a slave. Uh, he is the last surviving World War II veteran of the segregated army. Uh, he, after uh, after the, he served his army, served his country well, uh, he came back home. He finished high school, finished college and law school at Rutgers, and at one point was the in-house counsel for Bell Telephone of America. So uh, to Mike, his family, his mom, uh, his wife, and everyone, we sent out our, our deepest uh, um, appreciation for what he did for our country, and we, we sent out our our sympathy to you and your family for what you have to do through at this point in time. We also have uh, our um, new sponsor, uh, BioSolar. Are you ready? Are you ready to stop paying the, the high prices on, on your electric bill? And the fact that it's going to go up again, would you like to save 25% for the record? I'm sorry. Would you like to save 50% on your electric bill for the next 25 years? If your answer to that is yes, then give uh, Patrick a call at uh, BioSolar, uh, and they will help you at 727-314-6976. If you give them a call and let them tell you exactly what they have, the first 10 callers that mention they heard here on Fight Wars will get uh, a $200 cash bonus. So you see... 50% over the next 25 years, and you're out from under, and there's also a, a government uh, supplement up to $10,000 that you may be available to you. So give Patrick a call at 727-314-6976. All right, Frank, sounds good, and uh, we'll get started with, of course, our normal Roy coming <laughs> I'll tell you, Roy, we we talked about what the Bucks were going to do last week against the Philadelphia Eagles. We had question marks on both sides. Would they get off this off the uh, carpet right out of the out of the box? So that's exactly what they did. So before we go to some of the other games, because some were very good and some were terrible, uh, let, let's talk about the Bucks as they look into playing LA, uh, a team that they lost to earlier in the season. Yeah, you know the Bucks. Uh, not much of a uh, challenge coming from the Eagles last week. Um, you know, I thought uh, in order for that game to have gone any in any way or shape or form for the Eagles uh, to, to have a chance, really, they, they couldn't fall behind and get out of their game plan, which was to run the ball. And, um, and, and they did. They eventually did get out of that game plan. And, you know, Jalen Hurts just isn't he's, – he's not there yet in terms of experience and knowing how to – take advantage or, or, or just kind of deal with a situation like that. Uh, I, I don't think the, the Eagles did a good job. I, this was not one of Nick Sirianni's better games. Um, I think he, I think the game plan was kind of flawed to begin with. Um, clearly the Buccaneers, uh, you know, pre- were prepared for the run. 
Uh, they loaded up the box against the run, and really they didn't have an answer in terms of play design, uh, play calls, and Jalen Hurts, you know, just not quite being there as a passer yet to foil that uh, that that plan. And then I think the Bucks were pretty confident in that. That's really where it started. Um, you know, the Bucks were able to move down the field, take advantage of you know some penalties that kind of didn't. They kind of, you know, some bad penalties, really. Uh, and when I say bad, they, they probably never should have been called. Helped the Bucks, uh get a couple of scores lead. And once that happened, uh, it was kind of over. And, uh, you know, I do give the Eagles credit for hanging in there. Uh, they played a, a decent uh, middle of the game, second period, uh, third, second quarter, third quarter, rather. And, uh, you know, they did fairly well there, keeping it somewhat close. But, it was kind of inevitable at the end of the day that just clearly the Bucks were the better team and uh, they'll get, they'll probably should get a much better challenge from the Rams. We'll see. Um, I think the Bucks have to uh, be prepared. You know, obviously the Matt Stafford can, can certainly beat them if, uh, if they can't pressure him. Uh, this one should be a good one. Uh, I think the Bucks probably learned a lot in their first meeting against uh, L.A., uh, realize that, uh, you know, that that's a balanced attack that, that uh, LA's going to bring to you uh, with Cam Akers and uh, now, uh, you know, more weapons in the passing game, um, plus a, a defense that can certainly get after the quarterback. This this should be a real good matchup. Right. Before we uh, get over to Roger real quickly, uh, one other point, which they brought out several times in both the first and the second quarter, to be honest with you, Brady didn't get off to a great start. But he also didn't get very much help. Some, a couple of his receivers really throttled down at bad points, especially in the first quarter. So even though Brady did not get off to a great start, uh, did not get a lot of help from his receivers at that point, uh, he did finally uh, come on, and, and they won the game going away. Roger, you're up. Well, a couple of things. Uh, I have a question, Roy, about do you see that the Rams – can beat the Bucks or not? I absolutely do. I mean, obviously they did it once, you know, granted at home. Now they're going to go on the road and face the Bucks on their turf. But, uh, look, I've been saying all along that this is one of the teams that I think the Bucks do not necessarily match up well against. Again, it's, it's a very balanced offense um, that can run the ball on you. It can certainly throw against you. Um, you know, they've got receipt. Look, I think you can throw on the Buccaneers. Um, consistently, and I think Matthew Stafford can do it. Um, I think the, the key here for the Bucks is going to have they're going to have to pressure Matthew Stafford into mistakes. Um, you know, his 17 interceptions this year, uh, right near the top, if not at the top, uh, the league. So you know, he's had some issues there. Obviously, um, he's like any quarterback. You pressure him, he's going to he's going to you know try to force some passes. How's Matthew Stafford going to look? You know, in his first. Uh, in his second playoff game, and, and you know, look, uh, pressure's on him a little bit. Not, and I'm not talking about, you know, pressure from uh, a front four or a defensive front seven. I'm talking about the pressure is on that, uh, you know, this is, his, this is what he's been wanting for years now is a chance to play in the playoffs. He's got it. Uh, he's got a team that some people think is Super Bowl caliber, and uh, it's kind of on him to prove that it is against – uh, obviously, obviously the greatest uh, playoff quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, against a team that uh, is holding the trophy. So, um, you know, the Bucks are uh, arguably one of the, you know, one of the three, four best teams in the league. I think you can say the same about uh, the Rams. Uh, I like the Rams' weapons. I think they've got just as many as the Bucks, and uh, I think we're in for a, a real dandy of a game. I'll be surprised if it's not a, 
a nail biter all the way down to the end. I yeah, uh, just 100% a agree with that. I also think that uh, uh, when you talk about some of the injuries going into this game, for both clubs are a little bit uh, knocked up. And at, at the same time, uh, the Rams are going in with a, uh, a safety that hadn't played in two years, just came in last week, and you know, he was an all-pro at one time. And their secondary is a little bit shaky, which we would hope that uh, Brady would be able to take advantage of. And the other point was, before I get back to Roger, uh, Stafford's had three bad games before he had the, the uh, Arizona game, and Arizona was just awful. I mean, that, that wasn't a game. I, that's a game he could have turned off at halftime without any problem at all. But, uh, I mean, he had a great game against Arizona. We, a terrible team in the end after starting off the season 8-0. But uh, uh, he, he's very, very subject to throwing, uh, throwing the ball away and getting interceptions. And one thing to remember about the Bucks, uh, Roger, before we get back to you, one thing to remember about the Bucks is that, you know, a year ago they were really, uh, really strong at taking the ball away, particularly in the secondary. They, they did a great job there. It hasn't been the same this year, um, and maybe the injuries have a lot to do with that. Guys just kind of, you know, kind of covering their butts a little bit and just trying to make sure that, you know, they're, they're covering the defense. They don't have to take chances necessarily. And, and who knows, that may continue to be the game plan. Is Look, don't go out there and take chances here. We, don't forget, we've got the best offense in the NFL, arguably. And, uh, uh, you know, Tom Brady's going to make it work. So we don't have to steal possessions to win on the offensive side. I think that's something you have to keep in mind. Because there has been a lot of talk about the Bucks uh, secondary uh, and just the defense in general not taking the ball away this year. It hasn't the way it did a year ago, but I'm not sure that it has to. Um, at the same time, uh, if you pressure, and I think this is one of the keys, again, if you can pressure Matthew Stafford into mistakes, I think just the, 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 the lack of experience in, in, uh, on this particular stage, uh, his desire to, to win being as great as it is, uh, you know the fact that he he may want to he may feel a need to try to to, to force some plays to make things happen, um, and if that happens, uh, he'll probably end up throwing a pick or two. And if he throws a pick or two, uh, you can just about bet uh, the Bucks will uh, will win this game. So we'll see how it goes. But a um, lot of little factors here uh, to, to follow uh, in this one. And Roger, let's not forget the turf though to go along with it. You're up. Yeah, I was just going to uh, getting back to Sunday's game first. Uh, a lot of you're right, Roy. A lot of criticism to Seriani for a lousy game, uh, game plan. Number one, today uh, Howie Rosen and uh, Seriani had the joint press conference, and they both uh, were adamant that Hurts uh, uh, is going to be the quarterback next year or this, you know, the beginning in uh, uh, the tw- 2022 season. Uh, the other thing, there were questions about the uh, coordinators. Are they going to be back? Uh, but uh, the real criticism of Seriani was to uh, not take the ball when they won the. Okay, they should have taken the ball so that they because they knew they got to know that uh, Brady's going to come down and score. Okay, when he gets the ball, whereas they could have started their running game right from the outset, which I'm not saying it would change the outcome of the game, but it might change the outcome at least for part of the game. That's the way I look at it. Now, the other thing, the game game that I love, uh, because it was a perfect 
game. Charlie Weiss has said it. Many, many experts have said it. That Buffalo Bills, Brian Duvall, uh, orchestrated a perfect game offensively. What do you guys think about my opinion about that? Roy, you first. Yeah, it's hard to argue. I mean, when you school Bill Belichick that way uh, to the degree that the Buffalo Bills did, uh, you've done something. And, yeah, I, 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 it's hard to argue. If, if you want to say that's as, a, as perfect a, a game plan as you can put together and in terms of game plan plus execution, it doesn't get any better. I mean, it, it, show me another game. You know, this is a playoff game against, you know, what some people think is the greatest coach of all time. Uh, the guy's got the rings to show it. So uh, you go out there and you school him like that? Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to argue with that. That was, um, that was a surprise because I thought, uh, I thought that would be one of the premier games uh, of the weekend, and it ended up being one of the three that uh, was, an, you know, basically uh, was an argument for too many playoff teams. And uh, let's, let's cut it back to six or, uh, or four. Well, I would agree with that 100%, Roy. And also I'll throw in, Roger, uh, you know, they had five degrees temperature. And uh, we, talked, we talked early in the season when the two teams played, the Belichick just outcoached and uh, didn't throw the ball at all, kept the ball on the ground. And like Roy said, uh, we discussed it at length last week. I thought it was going to be a very, very good game. I thought it was going to be a close game. In my mind, as it turned out, that may be the biggest humiliation for Belichick since he was with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, it was a playoff game, but I can't imagine his team being taken to the cleaners like that. You well, know what's the amazing thing about is it, guys, my... is, um, uh, and you're right, he hasn't gotten humiliated like that since he was with Cleveland. And, um, you know, one thing, you know, I, and I, I did not read any of the, 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 the reports on the game. Uh, I watched it and, you know, was just amazed at what I was seeing. Um, I don't know if anybody mentioned at any point that, you know, maybe the, 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 the Patriots were just flat or came out flat and, you know, kind of got back on their heels and couldn't get back up on their toes or whatever it was. But uh, they're, 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 that would be an excuse that has no validity to it to me because one thing you know going into the playoffs uh, or into a playoff game is that Bill Belichick will have his team ready. It may not right. be as good a team – uh, you know, he's had teams that have gone out there and they haven't played well. Um, you know, go back to the Super Bowl against Atlanta, where obviously they didn't play well for the first half. Uh, but he will have that team ready. Uh, this team just got, again, it got schooled. And uh, like, like he's never been schooled before. And there was no comeback this time. So uh, right. uh, this was not a matter of a team being flat. This was a matter of a team being completely outcoached and uh, almost uh, outclassed in a way. What did Charlie well, Weiss have to say about that? Because, let's face it, he's very, very, very close to Belichick. He was with him all those years and sent him on his way to be a head coach in a number of places. What did he have to say, Roger? Well, that's exactly what he had to say, uh, Don, was it was a perfect game. He said that he texted Duvall right after the game, or Davo, right after the game and told him, you just uh, orchestrated and coached a perfect game. That's exactly what he said. And, uh, you know, I mean, he has some other things to say about, uh, like, some of the broadcasters, uh, Tony Romo, okay, uh, he's not a fan of him, and he unloaded on him. 
And uh, but I mean, this was I'm only talking about the uh, the game. And the other thing is when a team on offense, the only time they don't score is when they take a kneel. That's that's unbelievable. I've never (laughs) seen that in my life. Okay, that 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 happened. Now, I will say this, Roy, what what did come out of this past weekend was. Rookie quarterbacks aren't ready for uh, – no, quarterbacks that are playing in their first playoff game are not ready for prime time. And Kyler Murray, okay, Matt oh. Jones, and, and, and uh, Jalen Hurts. There you go. Totally agree. Totally. Look, I've said it so many times that when everybody it's, – it's why – and to come back around to, to some of the big news of the day – Good for the Eagles for coming out right now and saying, "Yeah, Jalen Hurts, you know, stunk up the stunk up the place uh, on Sunday in his first playoff game." But you know what? Jalen Hurts is going to be fine. We're going to be fine. He's our quarterback going forward. Stick with him. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to grow from these things. You know, it, 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 there's such a culture in the NFL about if you don't win, you know, this game today, this year, you know, everything just falls apart. It's it's it's, it's so ridiculous. Um, you know, you see it in every other sport where teams develop uh, into playoff contenders, into playoff caliber teams, uh, and into championship caliber teams. There's a developmental process. You hear about it in the NHL all the time, and we witnessed it here in Tampa. You know, obviously, uh, you're seeing it now in places like, you know, again, and I'm making an analogy here. You're seeing it in Toronto now. You're seeing it in uh, in Colorado. You're seeing it in Edmonton where – those teams have all the talent necessary to win a Stanley Cup, but they haven't really gone through the wars yet and become true Stanley Cup contenders, whereas right. the Lightning have. You know, we, we, the Lightning got embarrassed a couple of years ago, uh, drummed out uh, in the first round by an eighth seed, and it was a learning experience. Well, what happened with the Eagles was a learning experience. What happened with the Patriots and Mac Jones was a learning experience. What happened to... Arizona, learning experience. Uh, you see Dallas now looking completely different um, yeah. than they did uh, the first couple times around with Dak Prescott, a quarterback in the playoffs, and it's because they've got experience. This takes time. Right. It takes experience in these games. So uh, I agree, yeah. Um, this whole idea about rookie quarterbacks and, you know, getting you to the playoffs, first of all, it's, un- it- it's unusual that rookie quarterbacks get you to the playoffs. They've expanded the playoffs, and now you're seeing a few more. Um, but as we pointed out, uh, they didn't look very good, and they looked like they didn't belong. So, well, uh, two points I like to make. One is that uh, I think they, 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 first of all, the uh, NFL East was such a terrible, terrible division. Dallas was out there by themselves. But two things. McCarthy, it looks like uh, Jerry, Jerry – uh, uh, his son said yesterday that he was definitely coming back. They had another little press conference today saying he's definitely going to come back. But what I don't understand is that they led the league in penalties. They had 17 penalties in this game. And, I mean, I'm talking critical times. Fourth and one. They're going to go for it. And they wind up get two illegal motion penalties back-to-back, and it becomes fourth and 11. I mean, it, it – it, and illegal motion. I, I've never seen as much illegal motion in football in my life as I've seen this year in the National Football League. My last point well, is... Don, Don, Don let, me, let me say this. You asked about what Charlie Weiss said. He came down hard on the Cowboys. 
okay, and uh, what is it, uh, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, he says, why would you want him as a head coach? Look at the way the, the non-performance of the, uh, of the offense. Now, on the flip side, you know, I, I think Dan Quinn's going to be a head coach again. I and agree. I think he should be. I think he, he, he's really good. What do you think, Roy? Uh, I totally agree uh, with everything you just said. Uh, I, I don't understand. Well, I understand why Kellen Moore is getting looked at as a potential head coach because he was the offensive coordinator of a Cowboys team that uh, looked really good in the regular season in a bad division, beating up on a bunch of bad teams. Um, and taking advantage. We're going to wait till late o'clock, Frank. We got to wait till late. He, okay. Okay. All right. I'll see you. you know, Go but, ahead. But Kellen, but Kellen Moore is. You know, look, I've said it a thousand times. There are head coaches and there are coordinators. I don't Royal. think Kellen Moore is ready to be a head coach yet. Dan Quinn, yes, he is a head coach. He is a head coach. And Roy, um, I think the a, other thing, if I can interrupt for a second, we saw what what expansion is done. I mean, we had teams in the first round. They don't belong there. Pittsburgh doesn't belong there. Yeah. The Eagles don't belong there. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable the caliber of play by some of these teams that don't belong in the playoffs to begin with. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I mean, there were, there were no surprises. There were no upsets. Uh, uh, you know, nobody came up and, and beat somebody they probably shouldn't have. And lo and behold, gee, uh, should we be surprised by what the 49ers are doing? We go back to the regular, the beginning of the season. I think a lot of us thought. I know I did. This is a team that's likely going to be in the in the Super Bowl, if not, you know, at very least, it's going to be in the NFC Championship game. And here they are. They're healthy. They've got their rhythm again. Uh, and the Forty ers look about as good as anybody uh, in the playoffs. So Absolutely. it's going to come down to three Absolutely. Phase, yeah, we said last week that's the that's the game we really focused on, other than the Patriots, because we all thought that uh, the Forty ers had a great shot. Yeah, it's it's going to come down to the teams that, you know, the top four. And uh, at the end of the day, you look, it's interesting to, to watch, you know, these teams that get in there, you know, by the seat of their pants, skin of their teeth, uh, you know, watch the Eagles, watch the, the Patriots, watch the uh, – well, not the Patriots so much, but the uh, the Steelers and, and some of those. But, you know, if they could make the games competitive, it'd be nice. But, boy, not, very few of them did. Well, I'll tell you, the Steelers are another case. Because uh, if Roethlisberger's finished, I mean, they really have some uh, ground-up building to do. Okay, I have no idea who the quarterback will be. Do you? Well, you start looking at free agency. I think that's one thing they'll do. Um, look at yeah. free agency, maybe find somebody who, uh, you know, who's got a little bit of experience, someone they believe can fit their, uh, you know, their, 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 their uh, scheme. Um, but the other thing is you just, you know, you draft a quarterback and, and you work them in. Look, it's been a long time since the Steelers have had down years. They may be in a down cycle for a year or two. But my, one thing I do know about the Steelers is they, won't, they, they will be smart about how they do this. And if they decide to suck it up for two or three years and say, hey, we're, we may not be a playoff team for the next two or three years, but we're going to pick this quarterback and we're going to continue to move with these guys, um, you know, move forward with these guys, It'll work out in time, and I think more teams need to look at it that way and, uh, you know, just, just go for the right players and stick to your game plan and stop trying to, you know, think you're going to catch lightning in a bottle and, uh, you know, you'll be much better off. Well, they held yeah, a little before... bit of a press conference yesterday and said basically exactly the same thing you're saying right now. They're going to look at all aspects of how they go, whether it's they can make a trade for somebody they think is going to really help them 
or whether they're going to go for the draft or whether they're going to go for a free agent. And uh, they spent a great deal of time. And the one thing he emphasized time and time again, we're not going to jump in. Yeah, they'll, 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 no, one, no one will vet the situation better than the, than the Steelers. Uh, look, they don't have to do it often, but all that means is they have time to make sure that they do it right. Uh, they've, they've been through this before. They, they know how to build a team and how to build around uh, particular players. So they'll, uh, they'll do the right thing, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch um, and see what they do. Roy, before we let you go, Fred Khalil's going to be coming on. We're really so excited about that. But let me say this. The only head coach in the NFL that I – well, now, obviously, is Bruce Arians. But the only one that I can ever remember that was a coordinator under Tomlin is Bruce Arians. Can you think, Don, can you think of anybody when we talk about all these coordinators getting head coaching jobs? Well, you know, he unfortunately Bruce and he didn't get along well at the end, and no, uh, that, right. was, that was unfortunate. One other thing I like to mention too, uh, when we look at it, uh, we got we got great representation from Temple University, the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the head coach, and you just got to wish them well and hope they can keep on going. <laughs> That's it. Care, have a wonderful week. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having me as Be always. Safe. I appreciate it. We'll talk next Thank week. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Well, listen, as I mentioned, it's a real pleasure. Uh, he's never been on the show before. Fred Khalil, sports director, CBS of 46 in Atlanta. It's been a long time since we've seen each other, Fred, unfortunately, with COVID and everything. And I had moved away, but I'm back. But uh, I, Don and uh, got to watch the parade on Saturday from Athens of uh, – with you and Rick Bobom and uh, Sean Gables, uh, we can talk about it. But what an exciting year it's been for you and everybody covering sports in Atlanta with the Braves World Series and all those activities, and then the Dogs uh, winning the national championship. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger. I tell you, it's unbelievable 60 days. I think it's like 61 days from the time the Braves won the World Series and then, had the, and then of course, the the Georgia Bulldogs go on and win the college football playoff championship in Indianapolis. So I think in those two months have been incredible. What an incredible time to be in Atlanta, Georgia. Did you get well, much we pretty much saw the same time? thing, Fred, here in, in, in Tampa, Florida, because we saw what the Rays did for not, not to, look, we did the Lightning with the win. We the, the Rays were the winners. Uh, the the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Uh, this was Capital City in Tampa, Florida for the last two years. Well, it does a lot for the city, you know, and of course I've lived here a long time. So I can't remember the run of the nineties when the Braves were in the world series. They only won one, but they were in the world series five times in the nineties. And that was, that was incredible. The Falcons right. uh, actually went to the super bowl. And that was the, uh, the one they lost to the Broncos. And then, uh, you know, not the first one. And then of course they went back under Dan Quinn and then they, Lost that one as well, but uh, just an incredible run as well. Fred, what was it like for you? Uh, I watched you on those uh, post game, uh, you know, over the Braves and when they won. Uh, it was exciting. And then, of course, uh, the, the uh, in Indianapolis after the uh, Dogs won. I mean, that had to be just some kind – I mean, the adrenaline – and, and you and everybody else must have just been flowing really high. 
Well, you know, it's just crazy because you've got your earpiece in. There's no money. You can't see the other people. You don't know what's going on. So you're just walking around and, and you see somebody and you say, hey, Pickens, get over here. Boom. And, you know, they throw to you and you're on, <laughs> you know, with, with George Pickens or, you know, hey, hey, Stetson, we got to get Stetson. Okay, well, we got to elbow this guy out of the way to get Stetson. Hey, Stetson, come over here, you know, or, you know, whoever you can get. And that's just how it goes, you know, and you just have to – it's a post-game live situation. Like baseball, luckily I know a lot of those guys, so that helped. You know, Dansby was with his parents. Hey, Dansby, get over here. You know, and his, his mom and dad came too. So, you know, it's just uh, it's just a free-flowing situation. You kind of, kind of be on your toes. And, and because you can't see what's going on back in Atlanta, you just kind of have to, no no pun intended here, Roger, but play it by ear, you know. <laughs> you listen to something and then just go. Fred, were the people you know, in Atlanta surprised at all? I mean, they, uh, you know, they dropped back. They're five and six games back in the middle of the season. Their general manager made two super, super moves when he lost one of the best players in baseball. Uh, and also this, how many, how many managers do you see stay with an organization for 30 years from the lowest minor league uh, club all the way to win the World Series? And... Ninety percent of the people don't even know who he was. Yeah, Brian Snitzer was a you know uh, his Atlanta beloved figure even before you know I mean when he took because he was Bobby Cox's you know first you know he gets choked up and and it was just an incredible ride for for Snit and I think you know you talk to the players like when Acuna you know when he went out I don't know if you remember this but I think it was last year. The year before last, actually, when uh, they flew to Cunha, and the first guy on the was Brian Stinson. He was going right after those guys. He goes, hey, he's like my kids. You don't mess with these guys, okay? These are my kids. And that's right. kind of how he is, and that's when these guys play for him because they love him. You know, he knows that they care. He knows that uh, Smith cares about them. You know, and then uh, it's a great, great relationship, and, and I think that made for the great run. Of course, as you saw Los Angeles making those – trade deadline deals to fill in for Acuna who was home and to you know, give the guys some other, you know, shot off the bench that, that really helped as well. Absolutely. Roger. Oh, hey, so well, you know, uh, you know, absolutely, uh, Fred. Yeah, Saturday I talked to Don and uh, he uh, he turned you on to watch it down in uh, Sarasota, the parade. You, did, you guys did a great job. But I liked uh, one of the uh, comments that was made to you uh, by Rick uh, and Sean about when you were talking about uh, Stetson uh, being a walk-on, and they said, "Well, you were a walk-on at IU uh, Bloomington, and yet and we got a kick out of it." And you said, "I was a walk-on and a carried off." That's right. I had to be carried <laughs> off. I walked on. Coach Corson let me walk on, but I had to be carried off. But yeah, no, that, that, that Stetson Bennett is an incredible story. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I want to hear about it. That's great. Don and I love that. Well, you know, I mean, he comes in, you know, he has to go away to the junior college, then come back. And, you know, JT Daniels gets hurt, and then Stetson goes in and just comes to the and does the job and really, uh, you know, leads him to the national championship. It's an incredible story. You know, to walk on to, to that. And, uh, you know, and he announced today that he's Everybody gets a COVID year, so he's going to come back. Well, that's that's great. 
Well, Fred, I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to get any easier next year for dogs because uh, Texas A&M is getting a great job in recruiting so far. Alabama, of course, that's an automatic. Georgia, with the the, uh, players that are able to transfer, that was a big help this year, especially in the secondary. And uh, so it's going to be another dogfight in in the conference, the best conference in football. Well, yeah, it always is every year. I mean, if you couldn't come out of the SEC and you've gone through the gun, I mean, you know, just to get out of the SEC East, you know, Florida's been a little bit down, but, I mean, it's always been tough to get out of the East. And now Georgia's kind of the, the front runner there. And in the West, you know, if A&M comes up, then you've got Bama, A&M, LSU. I mean, you've got school after school that's really, really good. And these two schools with one of the championships, you know, so it's not like these are just, you know, you bring that up. How do you think Kelly's going to – this is really a transition in personality to me. Looking at it going from Notre Dame, going down to LSU, a completely lifestyle change. How do you think Kelly's going to do recruiting down there and also coaching at LSU? Yeah. You know what? I think he'll do fine. You know, Notre Dame's going to job it was. You know, and it never will be again, so – you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, that, that's life. If Notre Dame has to play in a conference, and that's how they're going to, you know, they, they don't necessarily, they quote-unquote play in the ACC, but they still pick who they play. They don't play the full ACC schedule. So, you know, I wasn't surprised when they let everybody them. So people said they used to believe that he left. Go, no, I'm not surprised they left. You're never going to make those people happy. You're not going to make the LSU people happy either, so you might as well take the money. For ninety million yeah. bucks, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So would I. Hey, hey, Fred. What do you think? Uh, a lot of people have asked me about uh, Matt Ryan. You know, and it's hard to believe that he came in in two thousand eight, and uh, uh, you know, was the the first pick. And uh, I, you know, I uh, he's a terrific guy, and. I'm just wondering, uh, do you think this coming year will be his last year with the Falcons? And I'm also glad that it looks like Dan Quinn's going to get another head coaching job. I'm happy about that. Yeah, I think that, that uh, you know, players, of course, you know, everybody said the players love Dan Quinn, Roger, but then why didn't they play for him? I think they came yeah, right. down here in Atlanta because he was good to them. He was so good to them, and I think they let him down here in Atlanta. And I, and I feel bad for Q because he is a good person. And a good coach, hell of a coach, really. And his yeah, offensive but, uh, coordinator let him down. Otherwise, he'd had a Super Bowl win. That's right. Well, if, if uh, you know, you see these other guys, these other teams make nice quarterback transitions, nice and smooth. And I'd like to see the Falcons do that. Maybe bring somebody in that is the heir apparent that will definitely, you know, maybe eventually move on, but not right away. Now, even if you look, you go all the way back to when Dan Reeves drafted Michael Vick. You go all the way back to that. Okay, Michael yeah. played his first year, and then he got hurt. It was really, you know, he was 24-25 before he, quote-unquote, had his rookie season in the NFL because, you know, Chris Chandler was already here, and they kind of worked their way in and let Mike work his way into the lineup. And Excuse me a second, Fred. I, I don't know whether you're on a speakerphone or not because you keep dropping down and, and it's, Miss some of the of the parts of your sentence. Uh, you are you on a speakerphone? 
No, I'm not. I'm right here. I, oh, okay. that's better. Yeah, now. Like yeah, it is. sounds fine. You know, it sounds pretty good. I, I'm getting it pretty good. There were a little bit, but not. It's okay. Go ahead, Fred. Yeah. Okay. Well, no. Anyway, um, you know, they allowed Michael Vick, you know, the year to get ready to play, and then that really helped him. So I, I'd like to see the Falcons do kind of the same thing. Draft a guy that is going to be the heir apparent and let him work his way into the lineup. And that might do for Matt Ryan. You remember the Packers drafted with Jordan Love, and that kind of, you know, all of a sudden now Aaron Rodgers looks great again. So, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe that would be the well, trick. I don't know. Well, the whole key is the offensive line. And, and the, uh, the Falcons uh, have had a, a trouble with the offensive line. I remember when they went out and got Mac as the uh, center. I was that about six years ago, I think. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but he really got crushed. I mean, this past season and, uh, you know, it brought back, uh, great memories. Well, not only of Dan Quinn's tenure, but when you think about Mike Smith, like almost every year they were in the playoffs during Mike's tenure. Yeah. Mike, you know, I, you know, Roger, I look at that one play. It was so weird that same year, if you remember in the Georgia dome, you know, the Falcons stalled out. They were going in to win the NFC Championship against the 49ers, and they didn't make it. And, like, right. a month before, Georgia was going in to beat Alabama, and they couldn't get it done in that same end yeah. zone. So we saw the dogs go down and go away for a while. You know, that was 2012, remember. That's a long time ago. And then the Falcons, when they didn't do that, I think that really kind of sealed Smitty's fate, unfortunately, when the Falcons couldn't win that game. Well, you know, what what else? Be? This... and I've talked about it on the show many times, uh, Fred, and uh, Matt has not had anywhere near the record since they moved to Mercedes-Benz Stadium that he did in the Dome. No, he hasn't. You know, I mean, it's kind of the new stadium jinx. You know, yeah. Performed the way, the way that people expected in the new place, you know. I mean, and who, I can't explain it. I don't know why. I no, I, I and he's. I mean, it happens to others too when they build a, uh, you know, a new sta- a new stadium or ballpark. But uh, I mean, he just uh, you, you just about well, rarely you know when you go to a game, you would expect the Falcons to win, you know, in the dome. And uh, you know, right, uh, yeah. speaking of Dan Reeves, it was really sad uh, uh, his passing. What a gentleman! What a great coach! What a great career! And the last time I saw him was at the Goldbergs on uh, Peachtree. Um, yeah, and uh, he was there on a Sunday morning after church with his uh, wife, you know, sitting there reading the paper. But what a what a class act and what a great coach! And you had the opportunity to uh, to cover him all those years. I did. You know, I did a show with him, Roger, for a few years. But I go all the way back to 1985. I'm dating my now wife for years. I'm presser, so we go to Denver because Phoenix. I have a football team at that time, so I want to go to Denver, and I got tickets to the Coors Suite. We're going to have a great game on Monday night, but who is staying in the hotel with the Broncos? And here comes Dan Reeves. I introduce myself to Dan Reeves. He walks right past me. He starts talking to my wife and being nice and telling her what's going to happen in the game and who to look for. And this is what you want to do if you're never going, if you've been to NFL games, you want to get here from me at this stadium and you want to go here, you want to go there. Could not have been a nicer person. And he was always that way, just always a class act to me. In addition to winning a lot of games, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He was really always a class act, yeah. 
Yeah, he was. He really was. And, uh, you know, it's a shame. I'll tell you, uh, I ran into uh, Theo Radlin today checking out yeah. at Best Buy and Alpharetta <laughs> and his son. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, your son have any idea where he's going to be playing ball? And he said, no. And he said, the son, you have any idea where you want to go to school? And he shakes his head. The kid's in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> He's an the yeah. Demopolis, right? Yeah, right, right. And he, you know, he started uh, reminiscing, and I, you know, I told him I had covered the Sixers back a number of years ago, and he he brings up, he said, oh, he says I was there the night they had the memorial when they were going to knock down the Spectrum. You remember that time? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of he, he, hey, that's a lot of people. Great. They didn't want that spectrum to go. They wanted that to be a historical sight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but anyway, he was great, and and I know you're going to be covering. I'm looking forward to seeing his son. He's he's really a, a tall young man. I'll tell you, for eighth grade, I can tell you. And Theo was terrific. Yeah. I mean, I had a nice yeah. conversation with him. You know, when he had a mask on, you just know the guy's like six ten. But uh, right. yeah, you know, he, I introduced myself, and uh, he was he was really terrific. It was great to see that because you know we don't see him much anymore in the area. Fred, I think yeah. one of the great things about winning the national championship has been so long since the dogs have been in that position. I mean, it meant so much to the state, to the community, to the area, and uh, everyone. Everyone. Roger talks about it week in and week out going. Uh, the radio show, the two-hour pregame radio show, the two, four, three four hours. hours. Four hours. Four I hours. I mean, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's almost a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. You know, a funny story, I don't mean to sidetrack, but it is. I mean, the Bulldog Nation is real. There's no doubt about that. A funny story, Coach Dooley was locked out of his room the night before the national championship game, and Kirby Smart was in the hallway. And so Coach Dooley and Kirby Smart had a chance to talk, and I wish I knew exactly what was said. You know, they'll never really tell us. But, you know, you know, Coach Dooley had some words of wisdom for Kirby you know, on how to get him ready because, you know, it was Coach Dooley and Herschel Walker and the gang that beat Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl back in January 1st of 1981 for the last national championship. That was a great moment, I thought. Oh, what, what a player. What a player, Herschel Walker. What a player. Oh. Oh, tremendous. Wouldn't you like to be a nat on the wall, guys, to hear that conversation with Coach Dooley and Kirby? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, he ran right down on the field after the guy should say he ran down. But he came right down on the field. They had a little chance to chat on the field after the game was over. And, again, uh, as you're saying, Fred, would have been nice to see what he had to say uh, to the coach uh, other than just congratulations or had to be a little closer uh, contact than that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, Coach Dooley means so much to the University of Georgia. And Kirby is a coaching a profession and, and certainly loves Coach Dooley. And, uh, you know, he is so revered in the state. Really, you know, in all college football, you know, he's one of the best all time. He's obviously a Hall of Famer and a national championship coach. And it, it would have been neat to hear what those two were talking about. Well, you you did a lot this uh, season with Buck Ballou, and of course he was the quarterback on that uh, championship team 41 years ago, and a great guy. And 
uh, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of fun fun doing that, and you've done it, I guess, for several years, right? Yeah, we have. You know, Buck, of course. You know, the reason we have Buck is because I know we can say anything about the Bulldogs ones and get away with it. You know, if they're not doing great. <laughs> <laughs> but he can. You know, he's got well, I said uh, during, the course of the, during the course of the shows that we've been doing after the game and, and even before the game, uh, I can't ever remember an Alabama team getting inside the 10-yard line three times and only winding up with three field goals. Uh, I just, uh, in, in my time, I never remember it. Maybe uh, maybe you do, uh, but I just don't. No, and that was the trademark of this year's team. I mean, people wanted to talk about the quarterback and everything, but there was the defense. You know, the number one defense in the country belonged to Georgia. I mean, they, they really had the defense. They've got a lot of players on defense. Well, they have a lot of players. A lot of them are going to be gone, but but they had, yeah, uh, right. you know, that was a stout defense right there. Well, and a lot of them will be first round picks, uh, you know, in the draft, first second round. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You know, I I sent Don a copy, Fred. I don't. I, you probably see it on online. You can only pick up the hard copy over at uh, uh, Athens or uh, at Macon or at uh, Simon St. Simon. But uh, Bulldog Illustrated that comes out every week, Vance Levy, we had him on one night. And, uh, I mean, it's just amazing what they can do and how they put that publication out every week. Uh, It's phenomenal. I I don't know whether you you see – you get a hard copy or not, but at least, you you know, you see the online. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. They do a heck of a job, no doubt. Yeah. Can't hear you as well as I did before. Yeah. It's hard, man. Well, listen. you got to get a game. And then, of course, the get it. Change. It's like, wait a minute. Uh-oh, we got to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to get that out, I mean, in like a couple of days. I mean, we went over uh, on a Sunday for that brunch. And, um, you know, Kevin Butler and Jeff Danziger were, uh, you know, they do a uh, show from the uh, – uh, Hill, Hilltop uh, Grill, and uh, you know we we enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's a drive over there from coming, but uh, you know, it was it was fun. And uh, but they it's just uh, just amazing. I mean, they just do a a great job, and uh, and you guys uh, did a, fan, a fantastic job. Uh, it was just it was so much fun. Oh, congratulations, Fred. I'll tell you, 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 as Roger said time and time again, it was great, and you fellows did a great job. And thank you very much for contributing so much to this segment of the show. And uh, we hope that you'll rejoin us again. I know Roger will keep in touch, and I hope you'll jump in and uh, every now and then rejoin us. Hey, whenever Roger tells me to show up, I'll show up. Well, thank hey, you so much. so much. God bless. We got, we got one of Philadelphia's great sportscasters coming on next, Billy Wardell. Billy, of course, we worked together for so many years. I worked with his partner today. Mm-hmm. I did a show earlier uh, with Merle Reese. And uh, uh, I'd like to go back to what Merle had to say, uh, Billy, and see some of your uh, comments as well when they had the little press conference today, the Eagles' end of the season, and talked about the security of the quarterback and talked about some of the other things, especially the the three draft choices that they have. Uh, what was your what was your concept of that uh, press conference today? Well, at least they're not going to go overboard and go out and try to get a veteran quarterback. You got to find out what Jalen Hurts is all about. I mean, right. again, 
He has one legitimate receiver. Uh, Quez Watkins is a work in progress. Jalen Rager is just a waste, total waste of a draft pick. And J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I mean, both those guys were just awful. So you've got to find a veteran wide receiver to complement uh, Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins. But uh, I didn't think it was a great game plan by Nick Sirianni against no. the uh, the Bucks. The Bucks had crowded the line of scrimmage, and they said, okay, we dare you to throw the ball. And they did not do any adjusting. Where they moved uh, Devontae Smith out a little bit, and it, it, it was not a good, good performance by Nick Sirianni in that, that playoff game. Roger? No, you're right about that, uh, Bill. There ain't no doubt about it. And uh, why they deferred when they won the coin flip, I don't know. I mean, because then that would have at least given them the opportunity to run the ball right away and keep Brady off the field, right? Absolutely. Everybody was in accord with that. But Nick Sirianni decided to defer. And, of course, Brady carved them up like a Thanksgiving turkey. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. field position, Billy. It's it's so so very very important. And uh, uh, you know, kick returners and punt returners are so important in this day and age. But more importantly, judgment on kickoffs whether you're going to bring the ball, accept the ball, and run it, or whether you're going to let the ball go in the end zone for a touchback. And uh, to me, I think too many too many teams get themselves in an awful hole by trying to run the ball back from being right on the goal line. Very seldom they get to the 25. I mean, they get 23, they get 18, sometimes 10 or 11. I, I just don't understand that. Well, everybody wants to be a hero, Don. That's the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, if the ball is in the end zone, uh, you, you have to let it go. Now, if it's a two, two or three-yard line, you've got to uh, take a shot and run it out. All right? But uh, you have to do that. But – and the end of them, you have to you have to let it go out. Well, Belichick started a couple of years ago, and I agreed with the one. He, he tried to make people run it out. He he had his kicker yes. kick the ball, uh, not into the end zone, line. but down somewhere between the five and the goal line because he felt right. that his team could cover, and they'd be much further uh, in possession of the ball in in, in a, a, a different portion of the field than if they let him take it on the 25-yard line. Well, I can't disagree with that. I mean, that that's that's uh, situational punting or, or kicking, and that's very very important. And uh, but Belichick is always ahead of the curve. Now, of course, his performance against Buffalo the other night was left a lot to be desired. They just got outmanned and outmuscled. But, uh, oh my! Buffalo Buffalo is an awfully good football team with Josh Allen. They got a good running attack. They've got wide receivers, they, they they do a lot of things, and their defense is excellent. Excellent defense. You like and another Andy? Pardon me? You like them this week? Buffalo, I think they could beat Andy, Andy Reid. I really do believe that. But they have to keep Mahomes off the off the field. You, you've got you to beat him up a little bit, and you have to make him make throws that, you know, when he's uncomfortable in the pocket. Or when he rolls out, you have to you have to put pressure on him, but you have to run a bit of a controlled rush against Mahomes. Roger. Well, you know what it is, uh, Bill and Don. It's a uh, Andy Reid disciple going against them. Okay, yeah, you Sean know, McDermott. 
How about, yeah. how about the stupidity? The stupidity of the Philadelphia Eagles and Joe Banner firing, firing Sean McDermott. And then they hired Juan Castillo, a longtime offensive line coach, to be the defensive coordinator. That may have been one of the worst moves in NFL history. Sean McDermott, he didn't have a great game. But to fire this guy, <laughs> and now he's proven to people he's a pretty darn good head coach. Well, absolutely, and you know, he was w- with Carolina, you know, with uh, Ron Rivera, obviously, uh, before, I mean, after the Eagles. But, you know, he was like Jim Johnson's uh, first lieutenant because he was the one uh, calling in all the signals on defense. Johnson was well, calling them, and he signaled on a mill in. Well, again, that was a very, very bad firing, a terrible firing. And, you know, it was a knee-jerk reaction. You sit down with a guy and say, look, what adjustments were you going to make in the offseason, things like that. But to just fire him the way they did was just just ridiculous. So you're going back to some of your theories over the last couple of years, and, and that is especially at the draft. Uh, I know you're not a strong believer in the, in the scouting system that the Eagles have put together, and certainly the man that's in charge of making these decisions on the this, – this is a critical – this is a critical three – positions they have right now going into this year's draft. They have to make those players be players that can play. Right away. Right away. Yeah, right away. Right away. Yeah. Now, here, here's, what, here's what I would do. They have three first-round picks. I would trade one of them for a future first-round pick in 2023. And then I'd move back a few spots to the second round and have another second-round pick. So you'd have four picks in the top 62. So that would be very, 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 very good for the Eagles. I mean, this Eagles team has a long way to go. And right, I, I yeah. just think the cheapness of the playoffs, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia got roasted, embarrassed. I mean, they were bad, bad foot. And everybody will say, well, what about Arizona? They played terribly too. But I, I hate the expanded playoff to seven teams in each conference. But it's money. Well, I, I agree with you, Bill. That really tells you how bad the Eagles never should have been in the playoffs. Let's face it. I, I really. How about the Steelers? The Steelers should never have been in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, Steelers were lucky to get in, you know? Well, uh, Roger and Don, when you look at these teams right now, all right, when you look at these teams and say to yourself, the Steelers just touched around the whole season, the Eagles – benefited from a great schedule down the stretch. I mean, they right. played Jake Fromm and the Giants. They played the Jets, who they have trouble finding the locker room. All right? Uh, they, they, they played Washington. They had all kind of issues. And uh, they, they, it was very favorable for them. If they were playing good teams, New Orleans with Trevor Simeon, if they were playing good teams, that would have been in big, big trouble. I don't mean Super Bowl caliber teams. I mean good teams that had a decent quarterback. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. Talking about Fromm, Don, you're going to love this. Rita asked me, where's Jake Fromm? I said, he's with the Giants. And I said, uh, she, oh, he's doing really well. I said, no, he's not doing very well. He's like <laughs> the last man, last quarterback on the list. And she couldn't believe it because obviously he's a uh, a dog, okay? You know. So, uh, but uh, what do you uh, what do you think? Um, 
Bill, the uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the Sixers uh, be, uh, with you because what do you think is going to happen with Ben? I mean, is this going to just continue on indefinitely? What, uh, you know, what do you think, Simmons? Well, obviously, Maury's not going to give him away for a box of rocks. All right? He's going to try to get the best deal possible. For the Sixers to make a run in the playoffs, they're right now sixth in the uh, Eastern Conference, sixth. That means they will not have home court advantage. All right? When you look at this basketball team, they need another option opposite Embiid. They don't mm-hmm. have that guy right now. Don't give me Tobias Harris or Seth Curry. They need another option. Right. I mean, a primetime option. And they do not have that right now. Well, they get a little bit of a break because uh, the Nets right now are in, you know, maybe you got to find themselves in a little bit of a free fall with Durant uh, out for at least at least six and probably closer to eight weeks. Uh, and Irving, I mean, how do you have a guy that plays only on the road, can't play at home because of the Madison Square Garden rules and regulations? Uh, so I think they've got – I'll tell you, a team I'd be a little concerned about right now is Toronto. I think Toronto can make a little bit of a push and hurt the 76ers. Well, here's the problem, Don. When you look at this league right now, especially the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee's very good. You mentioned the Nets have some injury problems and Kyrie Irving. And here's another situation. You mean the league doesn't have a hammer to say, if you're not vaccinated, you're not going to play. It's just totally absurd, totally absurd that they don't implement that type of uh, uh, rule. Well, you, you and I agree, and Roger agrees, and, and, you know, you think most people – I mean, look at – you have the number one tennis player in the world, and he decides to go to Australia and with with no shots and come in, and, uh, you know, they, gotta, they have, had to extricate him from the country. I mean, how can you yeah. do these things? Yeah. Well, I agree with you. They deported him. And he may he may not be able to play there for three years. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I don't understand it. I just don't. And the other thing I don't understand is, and it, it seems so simple. You you haven't seen any. The worst thing that can happen to you if you get the shots and the booster is that if you do get the virus one or two, it's going to be so much less than if you don't have it. There's no right. nothing negative about getting the right. shots. Nothing. How can you stay there and say, I'm not going to get them? Well, there's some real idiots. That's what, all I have to say. I say some real idiots. Right. And I'll well, tell you there's this. there's a lot of them. If I, ran a, ahead, if I ran a hospital, if I ran a hospital, or if I'm running Blue Cross of Pennsylvania or, or uh, South Florida, if you're not vaccinated and you're brought into the hospital, your premiums will triple. Simple yeah. as that. Simple as that. That may get the point across. Billy, unfortunately, rules and regulations are tough to come by. I mean, look what's happening. You just mentioned it in the NBA. What kind of leadership is Silver showing in the NBA? I mean, they, they have a bad – they've got a bad sport. I mean, right now – and I love I loved the NBA. I loved it when I worked over there. I thought basketball was great work with great people, uh, even today. Uh, but this game that they're playing now – and what's happening with the game? I mean, it's crazy. 
Well, uh, absolutely. And all sports are crazy. You know, I said yep. something on a, a radio show the last couple of days. They talk about minority hirings in the National Football League. The only way you're going to get the attention of the owners to say we're going to walk out one game unless we have equality on our coaching ranks. Because this dog and pony show was ridiculous year in and year out. There's a lot of capable African-American assistants who get passed over, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, well, oh, the messages right. on the field uh, don't uh, do the uh, the job. You've got to really uh, have a hard line. You're right. And I'll tell you, the NBA is so screwed up. I don't know if you saw the story about the co-owner, I guess part co-owner of the Warriors. And what he said, he did not care about the uh, human uh, the treating of the human being in China and uh, the torture and, and imprisonment and killing everything else. He didn't care about that. He says, I'm only interested in my bottom line. Well, now even the no NBA question. players are after this jerk. Well, he, he is a jerk, a total jerk to do that. Total jerk to, to hey, look, make boys, statements like we that. We got the Olympic Games going over there. Yeah. We're laughing at ourselves. We're la- and I, yeah. listen, I'm the last one in the world because you only, in the Olympic case, it's not like other. You only, for the most part, you only have one shot. You, if, you, if you're, uh, you're at the right age, at the right point in your career, you go over there, you got a chance to really make a, a contribution to the United States team. But I, I, to, st- to spend all this American money and send everybody over there like everything's okay, I don't buy it. No. I don't. I, 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 I would say I would have canceled the Olympics, but there's too much money involved. Well, too DC much money involved. involved. No, that's right. That's right. You're 100%. Well, one last thing on. is uh, you just mentioned your broadcast partner, Merle Reese. We did a show this afternoon. I talked to you about it. And he thought, uh, going from, from your uh, selection for the draft, he thought that the number one uh, option for the Philadelphia Eagles was to get a strong pass rusher. And, uh, you know, need a, that, a Miller, a, a, a player of that, that. He thought that was their biggest need. No question about it. You have to put pressure on the quarterback, and let's, let's, let's not fiddle around with Fletcher Cox and people like that. Let's move on from those guys, all right? It's right. time to move right. on. I mean, let's not keep on having an alumni program every week. Uh, Fletcher Cox had great, uh, great years here, but he has not been a productive player, all right? Not well, been a productive right. player. In the press conference today, the, one of the questions you I'm sure you saw it, was about uh, drafting a uh, linebacker. Because what, they haven't drafted a linebacker, what, every 40 years, Bill? 1979, they drafted my good friend Jerry Robinson out of UCLA. Yeah, UCLA. And he had a very yeah. productive career with the Eagles, and later with the Oakland Raiders. How about Seth yeah, on those I, post-game shows? I'll tell you, he's, to me, he's a... He's a <laughs> He's a breath of fresh air. I mean, from guy? the exhibition season right straight through the regular season. I mean, on those post-game shows on NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, he's low-key, but boy, he hits a nail right on the head. He talks about running the football. He talks about where are the linebacks. He, I mean, he really enough One of the biggest things I miss when I come down here to Florida is the fact that I don't get a chance to see him on the post-game show. Seth Joyner does a great job. 
he should be coaching in the National Football League. I was going to say, how about defensive coordinator, Billy? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Don't give me this. You have to spend time uh, as a apprentice. He knows the game. He is oh, qualified he to to uh, be a defensive coordinator tomorrow morning or tonight. I this agree with Jonathan you. Gannon, Jonathan Gannon, if he gets a head coaching job, I'm I'm, I'm just want to throw the towel in. But basically, oh. they want guys they can control. They want want guys they can control. That's the way they operate. Well, Frank, did you say we're up, up at time in this segment, or are we holding on? So go right ahead, you, you tell me, Don. Keep going? Okay. I, I, anytime Billy can stay a little longer, is always 100% better with me. But uh, Me too, yeah. <laughs> Billy, yeah. let's get that quickly to uh, the Phillies. We spent time talking about that on the show this afternoon as well. And uh, a couple of your observations. Uh, you know, you and I agree on a lot of things, and so I'll let you go first and, and tell us what you think where the, where the Phillies are right now. Probably a fourth-place team in their division. No center fielder, no left fielder. They have a, a situation at shortstop. Who's going to be a shortstop, Gregorius or Stotts? The, what about third base? The bullpen is a colossal mess after last year, all those blown saves. Another starting pitcher. What, what else do you want me to discuss, Don? This team is on a downward spiral unless they can really, really have a great offseason. And, of course, the offseason would cut short because of the lockout. So the Phillies really are going to be behind the eight ball going into spring training. I I don't see the Phillies finishing any higher than fourth in their division, to be honest with you. You 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 pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. I said on the show this afternoon, I can't imagine – all the other clubs, the Mets are making serious moves. I don't know whether they're going to work out or not, but, I mean, they got themselves a center fielder who's a legitimate – he may be 32 years of age, but they got a three-year contract. He, he only has to play 30, 33 and 34. He's 32 now. He's got a great center fielder, steals bases, gets on base, hits for average. Uh, you know, I'm not a great Lindor fan, but he's got a lot of talent, whether he'll finally uh, – come around this year become the player he was in Cleveland, I don't know, but he should. He should. But the, the the Mets, they got themselves into a situation where they made strong moves before the lockout. The Phillies haven't done anything. No, no. They, they've, they're always, and I don't want to hear this, we don't want to go over the luxury tax. If John Middleton is really sincere about putting a championship team on the field, Sometimes you have to go with a luxury tax. You gave a bundle of money to Bryce Harper, so don't. I don't want to. I don't want to hear. Well, we're not going to go with a luxury tax. You know, we signed Bryce Harper because we want to put fannies in the seats. You put fannies in the seats when you're competing for a pennant. You don't put fannies in the seats when you're a, a, a third or fourth place team. Simple as Especially that. Especially in Philadelphia. Yep. Yes, indeed. Roger. That's right. Well, the uh, I agree with both of you, uh, gentlemen, 100%. They haven't done anything. They didn't do anything before the lockout. And uh, I read the other day they did get uh, some uh, pretty good prospects uh, from the, the uh, Dominican Republic. But how long it takes for them to develop? Because we don't know how the Phillies are going to do uh, development, you know, uh, player development, because they've had to make so many changes. Because they certainly no, they weren't doing it uh, previously. No, they weren't. And they, they had a clean sweep 
of their minor league system. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. I was going to say, we just we got to get a hold of Larry Bull because Larry worked so closely uh, you know, with Charlie for you know, all the last couple of years, uh, working through that minor league system to see what players possibly had a chance to be developed and come up to the major league level. So uh, Larry would be a great guy to talk to right now. He can't talk about major league players. They're on a quarantine there. They can't talk about anybody. But uh, uh, at least we can talk about what they think they have in the farm system if they have anything. Well, their farm system is one of the worst in baseball. And all those top premium picks they had, they have not done anything with them. No, not, nothing at all. Nobody's developed. Moniac, nope. the, the rest of them. It's awful. Right. Yeah, it's embarrassing. You know, uh, Bill, I got to tell you, the other night, Dick Vermeil was on uh, – the uh, I think late yeah late hits on uh, uh, Sirius NFL Radio, and I'll tell you it was refreshing as always to talk to uh, Dick. But it, it, he uh, was asked about who's going to play Dick Vermeil in the next movie, because what was it? De- Dennis Quaid was in Invincible, right. and the guy that's in the one with Kurt Warner, and so right. he talked about uh, Kurt's development. But the the thing that cracked me up was. He said to Kurt one time, and they used the line in the movie. He said, uh, "I I really like you, but I don't know why I like you." You know, he meant as a player. <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> well, and he said for me, they I'll, used two lines. For me, I'll be inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in August. Long overdue. Yeah. What a tremendous individual. Tremendous. Oh, long overdue. And and you guys think about when you were covering. Uh, where were you, Bill? Bill uh, what station in 1980, which was a wonderful year in Philadelphia sports? Channel Six. Were you, you were at six then, okay? With uh, Tolly and Scott and uh, Gary, right? No, at Scott that time? was not there. No, it was oh, just Scott me and Tolly and Steve Levy. That yeah, was, Scott came in a little bit later on. In fact, he Scott, Scott uh, Palmer, he was the moderator of the uh, show Andrew, we did this afternoon, and he did and, a great, he uh, did a great Palmer, job. What a great guy! In. Tremendous guy. Yes, tremendous, tremendous guy. tremendous guy. He did a terrific, terrific job. And uh, well, he was a, a, great, a great addition to the, I, I didn't know some of the people that were on the panel, but he did, a, he did a great job. Did a great job. Well, you think about 1980, Phillies win the World Series. Eagles go from the 80 season to the Super Bowl. Sixers were right up there, and the Flyers were right up there. Okay. Yeah, the Flyers I mean, what a year the- that was. Absolutely. That was great, great sports in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever have that come back to the city again, I'm hoping, but you never know. Guys, Billy, you thank run, you right? so very, very much. Great luck with your, Bill, your programming. Always. Day in You're and day out, you do it every day. You come to the, you right. come to the, uh, to the mic and you do a terrific job. And I'll tell you, it's great to do it in Philadelphia. Thank you very much as always. Thank and you. look forward to getting together again soon. All right, Don and Roger enjoyed it. And Frank, Take great care, job Bill, as usual. You're the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, now we're going to jump ahead, and uh, Mike's ready to go. Mike Simsack ready to go. And we talked to Mike. Uh, we have so many different areas to go. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we can talk basketball. We can talk about the hockey club. Uh, he's got a leading score in the National Hockey League. It's almost every year. <laughs> and he's, he's right there again this year. And uh, 
There's still news on the Washington football team, although we haven't gotten the nickname yet. It's only a couple of weeks away, supposedly. And uh, so the, and basketball to go with it. So I'll tell you, and, and you got soccer. Now, let me ask you one thing about soccer before we go to some of the other. What are they doing throwing all this stuff down and, on the players? Do they have to – you've got to pull everybody off the field and uh, hold, hold everything back up and not play till the next day. What's going on over there? I really wish I had an answer to that question. And we really don't have enough time for me to even attempt to try and explain how you can have 30-some-odd, 60-some-odd different federations, all with different rules as to how they judge games, how they officiate. Donna, I really don't have an answer for you for that one. Um, It's it's soccer, it's FIFA, it's UEFA, it's AFCON, uh, and you have all these different federations, all of whom are entitled to make up things as they go along, and that's what they do. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I'll tell you, it is it's a, a mixed-up situation. And, uh, you know, then they start throwing things out of the stands, hit a guy in the head, he's got a concussion. Uh, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know if you caught the game last week in the African Cup of Nations. Um, Mali was playing, and not a team that we favored to win this tournament, but the referee blew the game over twice. The problem was he did it twice before the 90 minutes were up. <laughs> he, blew it, he blew the game over once in the 85th minute. Now, you're going to blow a game over and say, yeah, the game's over. It's a 90-minute game. How are you blowing it over and saying that it's over in the night, uh, the 85th minute? And then he, 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 he oh, well, no, nah, I wasn't right. So he let him play on, and then he blew it dead final at 87 minutes and 35 seconds. Now, again, 85 minutes and 30 seconds, 35 seconds to me is not 90 minutes. Right. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. It's, it's it's amazing the things that are happening right now. Let's but let's talk about the hockey club in Washington because uh, the, the vision is. I mean, it is so great to see that competition in the first five teams, and uh, what's actually have the Rangers for God knows how long it's been the Rangers that ever gotten first place <laughs> in, in their division, but they finally climbed up there. What, what's give us some of your th- thumbnail sketches of? You know, what Washington is doing, what the Rangers are doing, and what's happening, uh, certainly Pittsburgh. I really don't have an answer for that one right now. Again. Wait a minute. You've got some answers for us here tonight. Um, Washington loses to a Vancouver Canucks team that is well below 500. One night. And then absolutely goes out and lambasts the Flyers next night. Uh, the, the only thing that I can say about the cap, uh, Capitals right now is that they are consistently inconsistent. And 
I'll be honest. That is the buzzword for all of DC sports right now. We're going to be consistently inconsistent. Roger? Yeah, uh, Mike, I wanted to talk to you about the United. Uh, A lot of things going on. Of course, hard to believe that, uh, what, in about six weeks, uh, there'll be the first uh, game uh, of the season. Uh, but uh, just uh, the uh, yesterday, uh, the United announced that they had signed Caleb Wiley to a homegrown contract through uh, the 2025 season with a club option for 26. And uh, this young man is a graduate of the uh, Atlanta United Academy uh, since its inaugural season. Youngest and, ever, uh, Roger. Youngest ever. Youngest ever, yeah. And – and. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I really have to give it, uh, I've seen that complex. I really have to give the uh, United a, a kudos uh, for having that academy, and now they're starting to uh, get payoff uh, from uh, homegrown players. And the young man's 17, he's from uh, Atlanta, 5'10 uh, defender. Uh, you know, what do you think about uh, the uh, that United Academy, and is that – are the other teams in the uh, MLS going to uh, pick up on that? I guess some have, but uh, not everybody, right? So the academy system in the MLS over the course of about the last two or three years has really, really grown. Some of them are better than others. Some of them do a lot better work and get better players. Uh, SC Dallas and the Philadelphia Union probably have the best two academies right now. Uh, Atlanta United, they're newer clubs, so it's taken them a little bit longer to load up on academy and start getting players in and training them up. But this academy system in the MLS, it's actually starting to bear fruit. Um, We've talked about this with respect to the Philadelphia Brendan Aronson is a product of the Philadelphia Union Academy. He got sold for a near-record MLS fee to FC Salzburg. Bid was put in on Brendan Aronson uh, in the last couple of days for some 20 million euros. Hmm. And FC Salzburg turned it down. They 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 want more money. Now, mm. Philadelphia Union has a twenty percent buyout clause. If FC Salzburg sells Brandon Aronson, who is a Philadelphia Union Academy graduate, they paid. You know they they train him up, but whatever fee. FC Salzburg may sell him on for in the future, be it 20 million euros, be it 100 million euros. Philadelphia, you can get 20% of that. That's amazing. That's good business. No, it is good business. No doubt about it. So that's where we are right now. So as you see these young guys, like Brendan Aronson, like Daryl DK from Orlando, 
go over. What they are now starting to do in MLS is say, all right, we're going to negotiate these sell-on clauses. So we're going to take 10, 15, 20% of the next fee. So not only are we going to get our money when we sell them, but when you sell them on because this guy developed, we're going to get money off of that too. And that's what's going to keep MLS going. That's what they need to be. They're a developmental league. They're a selling league. This is a league where you have the opportunity to come in as a young man, as the young man that you were talking about, Roger, as the youngest homegrown player. Come on, we're going to get you some games. You know, we'll set you up. We'll get you over to Germany. We'll get you over to Austria. And you'll have a chance to get there. And then not only are we going to get some of the money when you go over there, but we're going to get some money when they develop you into a slightly better player that we can't. And that's what's going to be MLS in the future, and that's how they're going to survive if they keep doing that. Mike, before we let you go, let's move over to the NBA for a minute because uh, Washington right now uh, three three deep in their division, uh, not playing badly, but at the same time not playing great. Miami uh, right now leads the pack and has been playing pretty pretty consistently. Uh, Washington keeps getting there. Charlotte's pretty good. Uh, some of your thoughts on the basketball team? Again, just like I said about the uh, the hockey team, consistently inconsistent. Uh, they can go out on Saturday and lose to a Portland team that picked up 12 guys off the street corner in Portland and lose to them, but then beat the 76ers. Uh, we don't know. They're, they're, the Washington team, uh, the, the Wizards are hovering around 500, and I think that's really what they are. They're about a 500 team right now. Um, but they're probably better off after the trade. They've gotten some parts in, in, in Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma, who fit well with, uh, uh, Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal Spencer Dinwiddie put it first uh, put it best Bradley Beal is the lowest maintenance superstar in the NBA if I was a team right now who needed a scoring addition who needed a play I would be giving up anything in the world to get Bradley Beal because he's a guy who's going to give you points but he's not a guy who he's not a superstar who needs a lot you know if it's not his night to score fine I'll pass he just wants to win okay well you mentioned that's Portland a good, that's a good attitude that's <laughs> a really good attitude we don't we, we, we don't give Radley Beal enough credit for the level of play that he consistently has and just how low maintenance he is. He's not a guy that loves the spotlight. He's not a, an aggrandizer. Right. He just wants to go out. He wants to play his game and win. He really, if I had to get a guy on my team right now, I, I would really want him to be it. Well, it's just the opposite with the Los Angeles Lakers. They're 13 and a half games back, and, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about superstars and what are they going to be able to do right now because for some reason the Lakers can't put anything together. 
there are a lot of teams right now. I'm, if I'm any team, the Lakers, uh, uh, Portland, anybody. Uh, yeah, but the Lakers got – you know, you're talking superstars. At least the, the front two are superstars. <laughs> the Lakers picked the wrong Washington Wizards. They picked up Russell Westbrook. They probably should have gone to Bradley Beal because I think he would have been a much better compliment for uh-huh. LeBron James than, than, than Russell Westbrook is. Well, I know uh, when you look at what James is doing right now, and of course, you know, he tries at times to do everything single-handedly, and, uh, but uh, they just haven't been able to put together a cohesive unit that can win. And in L.A., uh, you you have to win. I mean, you have to be a winning team. And uh, right now, Golden State has bounced back up again. They're they're playing very good, uh, very good uh, basketball. Phoenix playing very good basketball. And the Lakers are just down there in the middle of the going back and forth. You're talking about uh, you know what what Washington's doing and some of the other teams, but you don't expect the Lakers to do that. But Don, you brought up two teams I really love right now in the NBA. Phoenix, what they are doing out there, and I challenge a lot of people to name uh, two players off of Phoenix. They're doing; they are the top team in the NBA, gotcha. and they're doing. They they are really tough to play. Uh, Thirty-one months out, and Clay Thompson comes back, and he's doing what he's doing. Not you got him. You, you you've got Seth Curry. Uh, I'm finally back to being slightly scared of the Golden State Warriors. Like, that that's another team. Again, the power bounce in the NBA right now is in the Western Conference. Uh, yes, the East in Milwaukee has the best player in Giannis, but the West has the best teams in Golden State and, and Phoenix right now. Well, we touched on almost every sport in the world, and uh, we'll continue again next week. Mike, thank you very, very much as always, and week, keep Mike. those teams down in Washington in contention. Will you please? I uh, will do, but I know you're about to go to Doug Hamilton, uh, hopefully. Yep. And I'm, I'm here. Golf has I'm... returned to the United States this weekend. <laughs> I want to let it be known. Um, Doug and his wife and me and my wife, we are all supposed to get to gen- together for dinner on Saturday, and I am so looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've been called a disappointment before, but I'll let you make your own decision. <laughs> Doug, yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. We're going to have a great yep. time. Yeah. You know, ironically, I've had I've had dinner um, at this place before. Um, I think Candace's family went there for um, – who knows what gathering it was, uh, but the food is excellent. So I'm really excited to meet you and your wife, and uh, it's a nice meeting place in between. And um, I'll work my way around the staff here. I met uh, Frank once, so i got to get to Don, and, and uh, I met Roger once. Uh, so um, it's always nice to put a name but on the face. Doug, we, we, at the end of the night, we got to get the Larry King. I, I, I got my specific server um, we're going to have a good time, weather permitting, but you and I are going to yep. end the night with a Larry King. All right? Okay. Yeah. All, All right, right, my man. Um, gentlemen, great to talk to you as always, mm-hmm. and I will see you next week. 
Have Look a great week. And uh, now we can add uh, not only football, mm-hmm. not only baseball, not only golf, but now he's a food connoisseur. <laughs> He's going to give us. A, he's going to give us a restaurant review at the right. beginning of each segment right. when he appears on here. Before we talk about anything else, we'll have a restaurant review for the Washington right. D.C. Baltimore area. You know, Don, my, my, I cast my net far and wide, my friend. You just can't limit yourself to any one thing, and you know, to be a Swiss Army knife is is important in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> How about golf? Let's go, let's talk a little bit about golf because uh, we're quit yeah. and uh, we're finally back in the United States a little bit. And uh, yeah, give, give us your thoughts as we turn the corner now and start to get into the uh, you know the, the end of the winter sport, going into the spring mm-hmm. and getting some golf underway. Yeah, um, gosh, it's pretty daggone cold up here in the Northeast, and we're talking about you know, some more uh, winter weather and some patterns that would suggest uh, winter precip here over the next week or two. So um, I, I've been actually uh, fooling around trying to hit some golf balls indoors. We have an indoor area that we can uh, either hit outside into or we actually have like a little simulator box that we hook up. And, you know, we were tinkering around with a, a par three golf course today that you can actually, you know, hit your shots. It automatically putts for you so you don't have to get into that. But, um you know, looking at uh, some of the tour stuff, uh, you know, it's kind of cool to see the guys play in Hawaii and, and uh, when it's cold here to, to dream about, you know, uh, warm weather and sandy beaches and that sort of thing. But, you know, as you mentioned, we make the, the turn uh, into the, the States. Um, you know, I think uh, um, Colin Morikawa is probably primed to eventually take over the, the overall number one golfer uh, spot. Um, as he continues his play. And, of course, you know, starting the new year, um, you know, you've got President's Cup stuff to, to worry about. You've got, um, you know, the resurgence, if you will, of, you know, I guess guys like Roy McElroy and Dustin Johnson that may have Yeah, they've got the line out on the Masters already. You know, we're, yeah, they, they show commercials on TV. Um, you, you could you could be taking a shower, and if you hear that daggone, you know, music for the Masters, you just you stop what you're doing you know it's just one of those things so um but yeah i mean I, i'd be curious to see uh who, who they who, who did do you know the lines who, who do they have uh at the top of that i know you, you pay attention to that kind of stuff well i'll tell you it's a, betting has become so so popular mm-hmm. with in fact uh in the national football league uh, i was surprised the ratings you fellas probably saw it too uh, I thought the Reds would be back a little bit this year because of the level of play. It didn't turn out yeah. that way. They actually picked up almost a full point. Something I can't remember the sure. exact number. I think it's something like twenty-one, somewhere in that twenty-one area, uh, twenty-nine point well, I mean, nine. The sports book market has just exploded. I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, we I played fantasy football and still do for, you know, a couple bucks. But I mean, you're, you're talking about sports book stuff where. You know, I guess college and all that stuff. I, you know, we did the All American cards. We did, you know, you bet twenty five or fifty bucks on a game, or you know, whatever that kind of stuff. But I mean, you can do, you know, I mean, they have devoted radio stations and channels and TV programs that talk about DraftKings and and FanDuel and um, 
you know, the daily sports uh, staff MGM. and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, WinBet, MGM, they're all over the place. I mean, you can do, um, you know, multiple team parlays. You can you can move the lines in what they call a teaser. Um, you know, and there's all these different ways. I mean, it's become uber popular to, um, to wager money. And you can even do in-game stuff at some of these different places where you can literally say, okay, well, you know, the next the next play that, that's going to be run is going to be a passing play or, or, or whatever. And, I mean, they have odds on, you know, all that kind of stuff. They even they even have, um, you know, the prop bets, you know, like, uh, you know, Joe Schmo running back is going to rush for over under 50 yards or, you know, right. that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it it actually keeps it fairly interesting. I mean, if you, you know, the, the, the courtesy that they add to that is to know your limits, set your limits, stick to them, um, you know, because that kind of stuff can get out of hand in a heartbeat when you talk about, you know, wagering money on that kind of stuff. So. Well, they're always saying that Kansas City game this week is going to be the feature, they think, uh, the feature gambling game uh, of the weekend. And uh, But it's, it's just, uh, I mean, the level of play in the National Football League, we've talked about it week in and week out. And for mm-hmm. the most part, it hasn't been that great. Yeah, but I guess because all these yeah. people are betting, <laughs> they they stay with it. And uh, it, yeah, it, it, well, it gets. I think it gets. You know, in, in my humble opinion, in terms of gambling, if you're almost better off. I think the lines they tighten as the season goes. Um, when it comes to you know people getting a better feel for projecting and setting those lines, and then get to the end of the season and. You know, we obviously had injury issues. We had COVID issues. We had this team's already got a playoff, you know, spot locked up. So they're gonna they're gonna take you know Aaron Rodgers out in early third quarter, and that completely changes some different things. And you know, it, it becomes more difficult. I mean, once you get into the playoffs, um, you know, you would you would think you, you have all of your empirical data for the year that you can make a you know your best guess there. But I mean, it's those guys that set those lines are really good at it. You know, <laughs> Roger. Yeah, they they are. And um, Doug, the uh, we had uh, Fred Khalil on earlier, and they um, I don't know whether uh, your wife got to watch the uh, parade in Athens on Saturday. Uh, Don mm-hmm. and how I watched it, obviously, uh, you know, when on the TV. Don watched it mm-hmm. uh, online, and uh, yeah. it was uh, it was an impressive uh, parade. And I thought that uh, yeah. your wife probably. Uh, would, right. um, uh, would probably trying to track it down. Oh, she she had that thing scoped out a week in advance. I think it was here. <laughs> I think it was on ESPN Plus or or some. I forget what it was that she has a SEC Plus or whatever it was because we couldn't get it on uh, any of the channels we get on Directv. But but she she, she wasn't going to miss a chance to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, all, you, I, if you went I online, for, you could get it from any of the TV stations in Atlanta. They each did a great yeah. job. Fred's at the CBS 46, and mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, we were talking to him because he had a great line during the show that I mentioned uh, with, because the uh, co-anchors, uh, you know, they're not uh, uh, that familiar. They had, they've been in Atlanta for a while, but not like Fred. And uh, they were saying about uh, – he was saying about Stedman, you know, being a walk-on and what a great story. Yeah. And he's going to mm-hmm. stay around uh, for the yeah. year. So uh, another year, but uh, Fred said that he was a walk-on at IU Bloomington, but he was uh, carried off, and he <laughs> talked about it tonight. <laughs> hey, Roger, for uh, for all I know, we're, we probably have the three-disc commemorative set that's going to show up here at some point with 
you know, disc one is the game, disc two is, you know, the party, and disc, who knows, you know what I mean? There's probably something out there that's going to be here from Amazon shortly. I, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be in the archives. Well, well the, before we the, run out uh, of time, fellas, uh, let, let's we don't don't normally pick, but this is a good weekend. I, I like these games this weekend, and I think each team is uh, you really got some quality players, and you know, uh, let's uh, let's take a shot at uh, some of the games and see what uh, right. you know, what you think. And uh, let's go let's go to the Titans first. Well, you you start us off. What do we got? Titans and uh, what is it? Who are they playing? Cincinnati? I forget. Yeah. Yeah, Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Yeah, I'll take um, and they're a three and a half point favorite. Okay. Uh, is Derrick Henry playing in this game? Yes, he is. He is playing in this game. Okay. Yeah. Um, golly days. I, I, you know what? I, I'm going to take Cincinnati. Um, you know, I, I, I think that you like you know, Joe, being that huh? by, well, like I, I, don't. I don't. I really don't. And I'll tell you why, because I'm a Ravens fan, and I hope that the next ten times the Ravens play him, they beat him and they run the score up like, like he was attempting to do. So, no, I don't like him. Um, <laughs> I think he's a fabulous quarterback, and I think he has some really good weapons. Uh, but I, I think that their momentum is pretty good. You know, they, they played pretty good towards the end of the season. I think Tennessee, and you get that, that, that bye week, I think they might have a little bit of rust on them. Roger, so, who do you think? think? I pick uh, Tennessee. So do I. Frank, who do you like? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay, we got three yeah. Tennessees and one Bengal. Mm. All right, now the game of the week. Packers are the 49ers. And right now, uh, you're, you're talking about a uh, – let me look here. Uh, surprise. Three and one. a half, probably. Four and a half, five points. Five point five, yeah. Mm-hmm. Packers, Packers obviously are the favorites. Okay, I think I think Green Bay wins. Um, they're just too good. I mean, they're they're in every facet of the game, minus maybe their kicker. They are really good. So I, I think the home field advantage and, and it's probably going to be colder than a, you know, tin toilet in the Yukon. I mean, it's it's it, you know that's going to be a problem. So I, I'm going Green Bay. Roger, I'm going Green Bay too, Don. Frank. Yeah, I've got to go with Green Bay. Playing the Green Bay is always a, uh, you know, you got to give them a few points right off the bat. But I'll tell you, I'm, a, I'm going to stay with John Lynch. I think what he's done in the last five or six games of the regular season and the ways, I'm going to I'm going to look for an upset. I'm going to say the Rodgers gets beat up there. So I'm going to go with okay. the, I'm going to go with the underdog. And uh, okay. uh, I'm, I, I'm like, I like the 49ers the last three. All right, now we're yeah. going to go with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think you're over there. Um, yeah, you know what, Don? You and I are three-point choice on, over the Rams. On our last two picks, Don, you and I respectively, if you've ever watched uh, the NFL game day morning on uh, um, the NFL Network, they all make their picks. And if you if you if you're the only one to pick a team, you have to wear that silly wolf hat, then you have to howl. So, so we both we, we we both had to do that. So um, all right. So this time I'm going to take Tampa Bay. They're 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 too good. Roger. Yeah, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Tampa Bay. Okay, Frank. I think the Rams are just too heavy for them this week. You got some. Uh, 
line problems. Uh, um, you know, the two linemen went down on Sunday, and the next thing you know, uh, Brady was getting uh, getting tackled. So I'm going to go with the Rams. I think it's going to go down on the wire. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Brady's going to be able to pull this one out. But Stafford, yeah. uh, big games. I'm not a big Stafford fan. Uh, so I'm going to go with Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, they're a three-point favorite. But I think it's going to be a very, very close game. I, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think if, uh, you know, whether you bet the under or whether you bet the three, but I, I'm going to take the Buccaneers anyway. And now the Chiefs and the Bills. Everybody's been talking about the Bills being the most improved team in football this year. Doug? Well, I don't, I don't know what the over-under is, but I would probably take the over um, unless it snows or rains or does something. But um, I think the Bills are going to take the next step here. Um, you know, I think it's kind of their time. Um, I, mean, I think Kansas City is a really good football team, but um, I'm going to go with Buffalo. All right. I'm Two and a half points spread, and uh, the Chiefs are, in fact, favorite in the game. But, uh, mm-hmm. Roger? I'm going to take Buffalo. Frank? Yeah, I think it's Buffalo's year. I'm going to go along with you. I think it'll be three to one against Doug. I, I like Buffalo myself. I think the way they've... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, but they just embarrassed Belichick. We talked about it, Doug, in the first half hour of the show. Yeah. I, I don't think Belichick's lost a game like that since he was the coach of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I never saw anything like it. Yeah, well, he probably had to get a new hoodie and cut the sleeves off to, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be, uh, as I say, I, we – and I don't know whether you, Frank, did really comment too much on it, but Frank, uh, what do you think of the level of play overall? I mean, you've coached football, you've been involved in football all your life, uh, the National Football League this year. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, it, it's interesting, Don. I think that uh, there was some some uh, resurrection of, of some uh, uh, seasoned players uh, coming back in and helping out the thing. Uh, I think that the level of play is just above average. Uh, I think the uh, level of officiating is below sea level. Um, yeah. And we saw that this weekend. That, you know, how can you give somebody a, uh, a, a win when the, the, the quarterback is definitely out of bounds when he threw the ball? I mean, it's uh, – you know, I am not without any shape, way, shape, or form a Dallas fan, but I think they get the short end of the stick on that one. Roger? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Frank. I think the officiating is really lacking. And I think that maybe one of the uh, reasons is that they're uh, promoting these, uh, ref- these officials overall uh, too fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at the – it's great to have young guys and young uh, women, but then you you look at uh, who's the supervisor, the vice president of fishing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not that old, and he was just an official a few years ago. Well, the the crew, they had the the story in the paper, I guess, yesterday or today, the crew that worked the Cincinnati game last week, they do not believe we'll be working any more post-CC games. Well, there was one crew that's already been eliminated from all postseason. But you know where they make the mistake? And I, I heard one of the uh, – Dick Vermeil said the other night, 
He is for the coaches voting on the officiating teams. I'm pretty sure he said it. And he said he's been uh, going for that for a long time. Well, they and do that vote, don't they? Don't they uh, each game, don't they uh, evaluate well, the officials? They, they evaluate, but, they, but they, they don't vote. So it would be uh, where you really have a uh, vote on it. And, oh, okay. uh, because, and they need to keep the teams intact, not take the best performer in each category, line judge, mm-hmm. back judge, a referee. They need to keep them and evaluate them as a team, not individual, individually. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. We've said that for years. Yeah. No, that's that's a real good point, Roger. I mean, that's you know unfortunate that you know they they may be standouts at their respective positions, but you know the game is a very fast and furious paced game in most cases. Oh and boy. I think I think we've become awfully reliant on on the instant replay. Um, also, on that whistle, I mean, i got to say, they yeah. showed that four, five, six times. And, I mean, I, I, and I, you know, I think I watched pretty closely. I didn't really recognize the whistle being blown until they pointed it out, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. True. Um, yeah, it was definitely inadvertent, but, I mean, there's, um, you know, lots of calls that get overturned and, and uh, the minutiae of the game itself. You don't have any timeouts or it's the last two minutes all these different things that factor into it. I mean, you know, hell, baseball's the same way. I mean, they're, they're humans, you know, and, and you have, you know, 95-mile-an-hour fastballs, you know, racing in there, and, you know, is it a ball? Is it a strike? I mean, you, you know, a lot of these a lot of these officiating crews have the propensity to call, you know, more holding calls or more pass interference calls or, you know, or whatever. Right. They, they People actually scout a lot of these. There's a guy that I was listening to on 105.7, his name is Bobby DePaulis, and when he gives his, you know, game scouts, he actually talks about which officiating crew. Like, oh, by the way, this guy's from Cincinnati, and the Ravens are playing him, and their crew calls more pass interference plays, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they people do their homework on these crews as well. Well, well that's a good yeah. point. Go ahead, Ron. You know, I just wanted to say uh, about uh, the, the uh, in the, that uh, Eagles-Bucks game, Kelsey got called for two holding calls. One yes. was a bad right. call, definitely awful. But that he only got called for one penalty all year right. in seventeen right. games. Right, Frank. Let's go back. You you know the rules better than I do. And and uh, now let's let's uh, say that after they looked at the replay, they weren't they're not allowed to look at that play for a replay to make a change. Uh, they're probably going to change that again next year. Every time there's a highly questionable call, they change it the following year so they can replay it and make decisions. What could they do? I mean, the whistle was blown. What do you do? The the rule is that they're supposed to, you know, play is supposed to stop on the the whistle. Unfortunately, nobody heard the whistle uh, and went forward. What they should have done was Stop right then and there once once he scored. Turn around and, and honor the whistle, going back to the, the spot of the foul. Um, go to the uh, line, the line of game, see what it is, and assess the uh, the penalty. Um, it, it was just a, a I don't want to call you a quirk or a stupid thing to have happen, but uh, remember you've got five uh, six guys on the field, and on each sideline. You have 
three other officials ready to go in if they have to, but they're all supposed right. to be in on that that uh, decision. And you can't. Well, that's the part I didn't understand guys. because they all grouped together. All four came over to the sideline. They all looked at it, and the announcers during the course of the replay of it are all saying, "Yeah, there's the whistle. There's the whistle. There's the whistle." Well, obviously, they had to know that the whistle blew. I can't see how four officials could join together and say, no, touchdown. No, no. The, the rule is that they should have brought that back to the spot of the foul, determine right. what the line of game was, and then assess the penalty. Yeah, and I thought they said it was a replay of a down. They were supposed right. to replay the down, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I would think that would be the, I, they just never really explained it. I mean, maybe it wasn't me, yeah. but they didn't really explain. Uh, and I guess the reason they did was because they really couldn't. I mean, it, it, that, that, that rule is not uh, 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 able to be reviewed. So I guess uh, I guess that had something to do with it too. I don't know. Well, I I think that I and Frank I heard what I heard the same thing that Doug just mentioned. That they should have replayed the down. That's mm-hmm. that's yeah. what I heard from several of the so-called experts and official experts. Right. Well, yeah, I sure. guess you go back to the you go back to the area that put the foul. Determine what the line of gain is. Assess the assess the, the uh, uh, penalty, and then play the down over. That's what the rule. Well, right. Let me ask do. you this, right? What's the penalty for? I mean, the players didn't uh, commit any. Uh, there was nothing involved other than it was only the officials that committed an error. It wasn't any of the players. So what are you going to – how do you penalize? That's, that's the problem. That's where the problem lies. They, they can't penalize the, the officials. All they can do is okay. keep them off the field. You know, God forbid that was Eddie Bell was on that field. He did, the guy would never have gotten off the field. He'd have had his bun hurt, buns turned up uh, upside down. <laughs> And if not there, <laughs> after the game out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another interesting call. I don't know how much time we have left, but another interest, interesting call to me. As I see what you feel, because I, I haven't read it. I've picked up all the papers and so forth. I haven't read anything about it. But the Dallas Cowboys uh, were were called for holding, uh, not on that, not on the last play, but the uh, uh, what were they were about. Uh, about the 45-yard line, something like that. Uh, they they were called for holding. They moved the they moved the ball back 10 yards. Then they were called for holding on the next play, and the 49ers turned the penalty down. Now I would have thought, with 33 seconds to go in the half, in the game, that you would rather have the extra 10 yards and give them another down because anything they put inside in the field. The clock's going to keep running. You're not going to be able to get down there and and and, and do anything. So I was surprised that I never had anybody say whether they thought that was a good decision or a bad decision. To me, I would have taken the penalty, the second to hold the penalty, and taken it back ten more yards. Yeah, sure. Well, there's another example of uh, coaching. Okay. I mean, you know, we talked about uh, Sirianni at the beginning We're of the We're out of time. Uh, show. Great show, fellas. Thanks again. Yeah. Frank, good Have job. Have a great week. Talk to God you next us. week. Thank Take you, care, Frank. Doug. Take care. Good night. Have a Thank great you, week. Thanks, Doug. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night that we can grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, 
the Minnewin Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. These are very dangerous times for men and women in uniform. These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Crow, Polkat, Sergeant Thomas Bader, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, uh, Officer Tom, uh, Jeffrey Yazis, Sergeant Thomas, Bates, Thomas Smith, Detective Sergeant uh, Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, <clears throat> Detective uh, Captain uh, James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Lieutenant George Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant uh, Chris LeVay, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Chris with Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Mac Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arda Cook, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department, and Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the runs, rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Spare a time.
Nineteen ninety nine, his father was last emergency. May God rest his soul. 